are people who are, you know, everyone's welcome to wander in for the first time, but it's, it's not about, you know, about the visitor, it's about God, that's, you know, like a, that's why the priest faces away from, from the, from the congregation, because they're leading all of us in offering up our, our worship. You are listening to a podcast called Fruitless, hosted by me, Josiah Sutton. This is episode two, Crossing the Bosporus, featuring Francis Cooper, where we talk about his conversion to Eastern Orthodoxy. So I've uh, been like very slowly teaching myself JavaScript. Mm, yeah, yeah. And it's it's fun, but you you know it's it's a very different sort of skill. So it's you know definitely kind of uh, one of those things. I, I think like like math or uh, foreign languages where you can't just you know uh, nonsense your way through it. You need to like yeah. actually learn things. <laughs> and uh, or else you it know won't as. Work. Yeah. As someone with a liberal arts degree, that sucks. <laughs> <laughs> this <That's>... is, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like I, I remember, um, you know, in like the composition class, I had to write a persuasive essay just because, you know, to get used to um, writing that. And the topic I chose was that um, I think I might have sent it to you that we should be, you know, returning mummies and like treating them with dignity and not just uh, having them on display indefinitely because they are human beings still even if if a lot of oh, time has passed it's it's weird like that one uh, thing from germany the uh, uh body works uh exhibition i think it's called where they like plastinate um oh you know, yeah tissue yeah. and like put it on display for you know to teach kids about anatomy by showing them corpses and um yeah like the, there's a there's a you know a contract when you donate your body saying like after what, ten years or so you'll be returned to a grave and put to rest and we we don't do that with with mummies like you know you'll see a mummy kind of unwrapped and all of things all of the things laid out and there's like a this scarab amulet they had placed at the throat they believed that if it was removed from the throat they would not be able to breathe in the afterlife yeah that yeah and that that's messed up that's um yeah you know like my argument was you know they're dead we're not gonna like we don't need to worry about mummy curses really but how we treat people, you know, how we treat corpses or people who can't advocate for themselves anymore is the measure of who we are as a society. I really like that. But the thing is, I wrote a um, that essay and my logical argument, yeah. the, argu- the central argument I made is, let's not do this because we shouldn't. <laughs> you can't do that with programming. <laughs> <laughs> that's true that's true you well yeah because that that a lot of that argument relied on pathos you know it kind of relied mm-hmm. on an emotion and, and i don't mean yeah. that to discount the argument i think that mm-hmm. that there's value to that but but yeah you're right 
Um, I think I'm going to keep that whole rant in because I think that was super interesting. <laughs> so I'm going to I'm going to formally say welcome, everybody, to Fruitless. Um, <laughs> I am joined today with uh, with Francis, who we are not uh, we're not talking about mummies, um, mm, but I really no. liked that. And I feel like that actually showed a good like side of you. There's a combination of this like academic and also like human emotional side um which is kind of like what we're getting into so i, I asked francis to come on to talk about his conversion to eastern orthodoxy um francis and i have known each other for a, for a pretty damn long time and you know it, we, we both went through tumultuous points in our faith both being kind of raised evangelical roughly um, i was on the reformed wing you were on more pentecostal wing and, you know, we both ended up in, I guess, high church traditions to some extent. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we took very different paths to that, but it, it felt like you were a fellow traveler throughout a lot of it. And so oh, it yeah. felt like a, felt like a perfect person to have on episode two, the first few episodes here. Yeah, it was definitely episode two. You yeah. meant to have me on that first. Should we totally? Should, should I cut this out or should I say that you were gonna be episode one? You, you can you can say it. I could say, yeah. Francis was gonna be episode one, and we got about twenty minutes in, uh, and Francis was just kind of like, I just I just didn't feel I don't feel prepared to talk about this. And it, it's and to be fair, it's a, it's a pretty personal thing to talk mm. about so i think making sure you you feel more prepared was probably for the best yeah and the episode with josh was still very good so i'm not i'm not too too miffed <laughs> mm-hmm. that, that's good yeah yes. <laughs> we might even make it 40 minutes in this time <laughs> we'll get to the end and you'll be like we got to do that over right <laughs> yeah but yeah why don't you uh, tell everybody a bit about yourself and kind of contextualize us all yeah, so um, I, I like how, how you said I have a very academic approach to things as, as I describe the uh, composition class assignment <laughs> where I was learning <laughs> the basics of how to write a, um, a persuasive essay. I think that you probably did more research for that essay than anybody else did in that class, though. Or it was a more interesting topic than anything anybody in that class was saying. <laughs> I, you know, we. I, I went to liberal arts school, man. They don't know any. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Um, tell us about yourself. Um, yeah, so I, uh, I am a uh, liberal arts degree holder. Um, I'm a barista, and uh, I'm Eastern Orthodox. Those are the main things. They're the main <laughs> things. Yeah. But yeah, I, I guess do we want to do we want to start at the beginning of this story then? Yes, actually. So you know, I wrote out a sort of an outline Hmm. it's like an outline but it uh doesn't cover very much and also it's not in order (laughs) i I have i've i have a document (laughs) the first thing i wrote in this was you know i sat down um and i was thinking okay what how did i learn about orthodoxy and it was in junior high um there's a a mutual friend of ours, Anna, and um, mm, yeah, I wanted to impress her. Like we, you know, we'd known each other for a while, but we weren't all that close. And she's very, you know, she's a very talented classical musician. Yeah, and she was, you know, had been learning cello for years at that point still. And um, so I thought she likes opera and all all of that stuff. I can um, you can figure that out. I'll ask her 
<laughs> oh no, no, I, I, uh, I didn't like opera at, at the time, you know. Um, <laughs> so I thought, what's, how can I ask her for a recommendation for opera, but without it being like opera music? And what I landed on was asking if she, if she knew any bands, any types of opera that sounded like the dwarves singing in the hobbit <laughs> and this was your first introduction to orthodox <laughs> because she recommended russian orthodox baso profundo oh okay and uh from there you know i i uh sort of fell down the the musical rabbit hole of um of you know different the different types of orthodox chant you know with a mm-hmm. that uh, slavic chant then a byzantine chant which I, I was a big big fan of um i very much kind of fell down this you know slow gradual track of uh falling in love with the orthodox church and that's yeah. um that's what i sort of you know th- this is the second the second uh take and i feel like the process you know my my views of things um as i was coming to the church you know my reasons for first joining while they're they're still you know part of why i why i've stayed it has been about mm. loving the church and the people in it and um you know i i don't really want to uh you know i'm not looking to talk too much about um about apologetics or or anything yeah yeah because i you know i i had a uh, <clears throat> Um, this is getting ahead of myself, but I had what two and a half gap years of like just a crisis of faith where I was, you know, I w- yeah. that's the only thing I would talk to people about. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, things they they did start kind of kind of small, you know, like looking at the Wikipedia page. I made a uh, an attempt at a prayer rope. Josiah actually has my first attempt. Yes, I have it's, it somewhere. Um, <laughs> I tried making the very like a uh, traditional knots because according to tradition, um, you know, a uh, church tradition where it's um sort of this is what's taught but it's not like, you know, it's not a dogma of the church that this happened. But yeah. according to tradition, Saint Pacomius, um, he was trying to keep track of his prayers and, you know, uh the earliest monks, they would just have like a handful of rocks and a bucket or just kind of like a spot on the ground and they'd sit in their cell and drop rocks into the bucket and count their prayers that way, you know. And when when they ran out of rocks, they thought, okay, I've uh, I've said a hundred Jesus prayers or, or something, you know. Um, Lord yeah. Jesus Christ, Son of God, have, have mercy, mercy on, on me, sinner. sinner. Yeah. And um, then they'd, you know, empty out the bucket into their lap and start over again. You know, um, they did other other monks did other things as they do now, <laughs> just yeah, dropping yeah. rocks into a bucket. <laughs> that's all they um, did all day. Yeah. <laughs> which I mean, that's more productive than Twitter. But um, I'd be happy if I had if I you know had some rocks and a bucket instead of instead of Twitter. But anyway, so then yeah. they uh, you know had a, an upgrade with their technology with their monk technology and started tying ropes into our into started tying knots into a rope yep started tying ropes into a knot yeah yeah saint pacomius was doing this to keep track of his prayers and he w- had this you know rope with knots in it mm. but then a devil came around and was untying yeah. his rope and he was like I- i'm getting tired of retying this rope all the time and uh so 
an angel came to him in a vision and showed him how to tie this really just beautiful, complicated knot that I believe uh, tying it involves making um, a sequence of seven crosses. Uh, sort yeah. of, and then it, uh, it as you um, tighten the knot, there's um, this part with three loops as well that you sort of uh, tie together, and it's it's just it's fascinating if you're if you're if you're a, a knot tying enthusiast. <laughs> and anyway, so I've since forgotten how to tie that kind of knot, but I did it with with a uh, a first attempt at a prayer rope, and I used paracord, so the knots were what two centimeters thick. Yeah, it's massive. It's awesome. It's very very large. <laughs> but I I you know I didn't have any reference point for what a prayer rope was supposed to look like, so mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, this is. <laughs> yeah, though um there are uh, in um some I, I think it's one of the uh one of the sects of hinduism or or a dharmic tradition they have a prayer rope where they use these just enormous seeds they're like uh oh, yeah. the size of golf balls oh, that's i cool. think yeah it's interesting i uh i had a co-worker who who's um whose wife brought in one of those and uh yeah i got to got to see one it was it was pretty neat it's yeah it's pretty very, cool. very big just massive um and anyway <laughs> so i just uh took a length of uh, paracord and tied just you know regular under over knots and i wore that just ev- everywhere for you know like i think 2017 2018 uh mm-hmm. yeah i think 2019 as well sort of yeah, I you would might have. have uh, you would have given me the one you gave me would have been 2016. Oh yeah, so it must have yeah. been earlier than that, you know. Yeah. And um, well, and th- that was actually kind of why I was interested with you bringing up that that was part of your move to orthodoxy because at that time mm-hmm. I don't even that you weren't even close to orthodoxy quite yet at that point. You, yeah, you were still. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. You were still. Well, you were in the open Bible stuff, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, there, there was you know this uh, this slight. Um, you know this this gradual kind of uh, I don't know if it's a slippery slope or just kind of yeah. figuring out how I feel about things, but hmm. you you know being like a uh, a teenager at the time, you know hmm. I'd I'd uh, fantasize about like you know if I if like you know I I met a woman who was orthodox, you know what. I'd probably be fine with that. I wouldn't think she was a <laughs> I heretic. Could convert, yeah. yeah, right, I, yeah. Well, not even that. No, not like, even convert. We could, you know. Of of course, I'm part of the the true church and the uh, here in the uh, assemblies of God. Um, <laughs> you know, or open Bible, or you know, yeah. all, all of those. And um, then that sort of uh, changed to like, you know, uh, you know, I I think orthodoxy. It's it's cool. What if I had like even just orthodox friends to talk to or something. Which yeah. is, you know, more a more uh, re- realistic goal because, um, you know, it's it's like a um, converting to orthodoxy. It's it's great, but there is that moment where it's it's kind of like you're a moth who's attracted to a candle, and then you look mm. around and there's just a bunch of moths there, and it's yeah. it's like that, but with uh, white twenty somethings who are interested in history, <laughs> 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 just a bunch of. <laughs> Just a bunch of, you know, college-age guys <laughs> who, like, you know, just looking at each other, bewildered, and like, we're, we're down, you know, I fell down this Wikipedia rabbit hole, and now it's, and now it's, I'm... uh, yeah, it's, it's midnight on Pascha, you know, on, uh, on Easter, 
and I've just been handed an egg. <laughs> what what's going on? That's great. <laughs> yeah. So to like, give the chronology here, um, hmm. you you started uh, in the Assemblies of God uh, denomination, right? Is that what you were raised in, or was it um, Pentecostal? Probably when I was a child, it was Assemblies of God. So that's um, mm-hmm. that was until I think uh, I was a you know. 12 or 13 around around that time then we started mm. attending a um, an assemblies of god church mm-hmm. for uh through through high school and um that one i i uh, i left cuz like um so open bible there um at least the churches that i'd went to um they were pentecostal with a seatbelt on i've i've heard people describe um <laughs> where they you know uh had glossolalia but it wasn't like a a huge prominent thing because like in assemblies of god you know someone would raise their hand and just start speaking in tongues then someone else would say this is what god is telling us and just say something and they'd be like thank you for this message from god (laughs) (laughs) and i you know i i felt like maybe um that isn't you know just like anyone in the church being able to just raise their hand and like mm. say this is something from god that's uh there should be some sort of uh precaution yeah because order, there might yeah. be some it's not even like a question of how do we implement spiritual discernment but like should there be any spiritual discernment because at the moment <laughs> they don't have any <laughs> Um, so, so open Bible was a bit better about that stuff. Yeah, yeah, def- okay. definitely. And um, you know, of, of course, it varies from church to church. Right. Um, They're very congregationalist, right? And yeah, like, yeah, their structure. Yeah, which um, mm. you know, I was um struggling with with those things, and um, you know, uh, just kind of, I had you know these these thoughts of like. I really like orthodox spirituality. Like, um, one thing mm. that really got me was learning that, um, when the, the desert fathers, you know, like St. Pacomius and such, and just saints in general, it's been the practice of if they think they hear anything from God or, you know, any sort of a vision, they don't believe it. Like their first instinct uh. is, is this so important that, um, you know what? What's more likely that that this is a message from God, or that it's a demon who's trying to steal my humility? Hmm. Interesting. And, um, so their their um, reaction is to um, you know, if it's from God, God doesn't like uh, he doesn't need to be like coaxed out. You know. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, it's it's not um, it's not like a uh, uh, you know um reading cracks in bones that have been thrown in in the fire Hmm. or something you know it's it's um you know it's it's more along along the lines of um like you know a a hand interrupting a feast and carving you know (laughs) your deeds have been counted and found wanting (laughs) right (laughs) (laughs) On, on the wall um yeah yeah so it's um that there's a care to avoid mm. spiritual delusion, yeah, which was really comforting. You know, I've uh, I've been um, I've attended a worship service where the um, 
the pastor kind of just walked up to me and anointed me with an oil, just some <laughs> random oil. I, I think his wife gave it to him. Um, yeah. Anyway, I broke out in hives. <laughs> was this in the uh, Pentecostal? Yeah, yeah. This yeah. was in the Assemblies of God Assemb- Church. Okay. Yeah, and yeah, <laughs> you don't want that when when you're you know anointed with something in church. You don't want to break out in hives. No, no, <laughs> no. Um, uh, I, one question I, I'm I kind of want to ask, but. Um, I, you know, I, I'm not sure if you, you want me to keep it in or whatever, but, um, I'm kind of curious how your, your family ended up, uh, Pentecostal before, or, you know, Assemblies of God before moving on. Um, you know, because as, as the accent will kind of let on, your mm. dad is, is English, um, yeah. and your mom's American. And usually, usually I don't associate, uh, Pentecostalism or those kind of traditions with, um, you know, English immigrants here. Do, is there kind of a story to that or? Um, did it just kind of um, happen? I don't know. Yeah. So, um, the, uh, the open Bible church was the one that, um, you know, my, my parents aren't like, um, specifically Pentecostal. They, they, oh, okay. uh, you know, they're, they're, uh, the kind of, um, you know, they, they'd identify as, you know, as, as Christians. Okay. I think if pressed, they'd say they're pro, you know, they'd say they're Protestant, Protestant but like, yeah. um, very much kind of, uh, fans of the, the, uh, I I think a uh, mere Christianity, you right? Know? And right. they're you know they're, their theology is pretty pretty Pentecostal, but they aren't like members of the Assemblies of God Church. Uh, okay. Um, I think that it might have been uh, something to do with the uh, geographic location and just kind of mm. when they came over to America in uh, in uh, 1990, um, they were kind of vi- they visited churches and made friends at the at the open bible one i believe yeah well that that kind of makes sense too i i have opened the wikipedia page for open mm. bible now <laughs> and uh, apparently yeah. des moines yeah des moines is like an epicenter of that i didn't i didn't oh, realize yeah. that des moines iowa i was completely unaware of that that it a lot of it was developed in eugene oregon and here so mm-hmm. yeah so to go and uh to, Sorry, oh, uh, like, um, I think people from, from, uh, my father's work, I, I want to say, I mean, I was, um, I was, you know, a lot of this was long before I was born or sure, when I was sure. just very, very small and more, more interested in pretending to be a secret agent, you know, <laughs> than, uh, <laughs> <laughs> than not, not thinking too deeply mm-hmm. about any of this. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Which, uh. Yeah, you know, of of course, just like like a like a secret agent in uh, which I I kind of I think I conflated it in my head with a ninja, where I would uh, <laughs> I'd wear like a black black sweatshirt, black sweatpants, and sunglasses inside just all, all the time. <laughs> So eventually, um, you, you put put childish things behind you. You put behind the sunglasses and the uh, the black sweatpants. Um, and you did start to think more about these questions. I think this was an awesome transition. I just did there. Uh, Very good. Yeah. So you did start to have more questioning as you were. Um, well, you know, we're about the same age. So about 2016 was when I had my 
beginning of my crisis yeah. of faith and yours was a little bit after that i think um well, it, it was roughly the same yeah, time yeah a very very similar time i, I mean yeah. it kind of went went in different directions as well of course where, where um yeah i deconstructed because the the uh, protestant church didn't have you know wasn't rigorous and doctrinally specific enough yes <laughs> yeah i had a lot of doubts and so then yeah. that was but i but i came back around mm. to the high church thing um but we, you know we'll yeah. get to that later but uh, um the, so at Lord. that time you were you were getting what you were you were learning to be a, a an open bible preacher right yeah, yeah yeah i was uh after high school i um started studying to become to become a pastor and um i did that for two semesters you know one semester covering the old testament one semester covering the new testament and um like it's it's not um there there isn't that much of a tradition of like academic theology in the open bible churches mm -hmm. um at least not that I'm aware of. I just kind of, uh, you know, grew up thinking, oh, everything I believe is in the Bible somewhere, you know, like ev every right, single right. thing I, uh, you know, I am practicing the faith of the apostles. It's, yeah. you know, Christians were doing this, then Rome messed it up, then Christians, then, you know, some German guys, they, uh, <laughs> they were, guided by the holy spirit to to make us all christian again yeah guided you know? got us on the right track and, I, and then... of course i was ecumenical and believed that um despite their worship of mary and such the catholics <laughs> had some remnant of the gospel still uh -huh. yes very charitable um, yeah <laughs> th thank you thank you <laughs> so yeah there were a lot of just kind of you know cracks that started forming and uh, mm. i remember this there's this thing um i don't know if it's still happening because i'm not really following those circles anymore but the new apostolic reformation where mm. in these charismatic churches people were just kind of declaring themselves to be apostles and prophets uh, you know get, getting up in the morning and thinking i'm an apostle now and um i hadn't you know i was interning at the church as well where mm. I was um, studying to become a pastor, which is, I I see now it was kind of kind of strange. Normally, you know, internships are after you get your degree or something. Yeah. But I was doing it kind of just simultaneously, getting some some work experience with with wrangling bulletins and such. And um, mm. I had um yeah this uh this just full on argument with with uh, one of the pastors of the church because he was saying that there are still apostles and people can be apostles. It's just like they can be, um, mm. you know, pastors or deacons or any other um, sort of branch of the church. And so I, I had that, um, that question of if there are apostles, you know, if um, that, that one verse in Ephesians, I want to say, I, mm. I'm, uh, you know, the, Oh, the, these these uh, Orthodox—they don't know their Bibles. Um, <laughs> but where where it says, you know, um, he has given some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be, um, you know, mm. uh, preachers and such. And um, I had that um, question of if there are apostles, who are they? Why are they apostles? You know, is it because they just kind of chose to be? You know, or or is there some other basis for? 
the role of of um an apostle in the church and that um yeah this this um sort of questioning the the church you know and uh volunteering on the worship team and playing these just very shallow songs you know they aren't very meaty (laughs) and it's just kind of very uh feel good repetitive sort of stuff and thinking like i remember when when worship songs you know when we had hymns and they were good yeah and if this has changed so much over the course of me growing up you know is it just nostalgia you know has it always been like this which i i mean shallow it's hard to yeah it's hard to say like if if the worship songs have degraded so much where are we going to be in another decade or you know in a hundred years what what's going to happen if we're just kind of you know yeah trying to imitate whatever's popular in you know just kind of being appealing and novel yeah that's it's interesting because you said that you know, you had mentioned your first introduction to orthodoxy was the music, was, you know, Byzantine chants and stuff. And I think that's kind of an interesting um, note to have begun on, too, um, because, yeah, we're, we're not necessarily diving too deep into, like, the Eastern Orthodox theology. I mean, it, it's hinted mm-hmm. at that, obviously, uh, you know, they're not, not into speaking in tongues and stuff in the same sense. Yeah. Um, but no, that, that there was something attractive about that, that consistent tradition of music throughout the Eastern Orthodox Church, um, I think it's an interesting thing to focus on versus like the shallowness of evangelical worship music is that's something I struggled with quite a bit too. Um, and it, it was something I found as I, you know, went to the Episcopal Church really refreshing, which although they're a bit new, yeah. you know, 1500 uh-huh. or whatever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> little, little modern. Uh, you know, there was, it, it felt like it was part of this broader, like this Anglican tradition that goes mm-hmm. back in some sense rather than just, yeah, trying to keep up with whatever, you know, indie pop is doing at this moment. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's, um, it's important for, uh, for, I mean, in orthodoxy, our hymns, you know, I mean, the, the entire service is sung, you know, about, aside from the homily, and I think, what, 75% of it is congregational singing, and, um, it's, yeah, it's a, a continuous song, and our theology is in our hymns, and the, the services of, of the church, and, um, so, which is, you know, it's, it's, um, fantastic and it's important for the music of the church to be i guess backwards compatible so that you don't um move yourself away from yeah from that richness and depth in the original in the original hymns you know to not get in a place where that would be out of you know out of place or just not fit in it it kind of reminds me of how um the uh catholic church is so you know insistent on using latin in like uh the official documents and canon law and all of that um that's one of the things um yeah as i was kind of looking into different traditions in a way that wasn't just um i mean hopefully not in in bad faith you know not coming for from an angle of like a willful misunderstanding i yeah this is um i i'm not being terribly structured here but um no it's fine 
it's hard to approach things with good faith in a sincere way. Um, cause even if, um, if you, you know, if you think you're approaching something with good faith, there's still, you know, no, no one can convert you to something against your will, really. Yeah. I mean, you can be like, a led, I guess, uh, there's, there's, um, you can be tricked into lowering your guard, but like, you know, there, there, it's not like, a you know, in, in Age of Empires, how there are those, uh, those priests you can kind of set out and they, you know, <laughs> wave their, wave their little sticks at and turn over enemy units or anything. It's, it doesn't work like that. And that, um, approach of sort of willful misunderstanding, that's really hard to move past. And, um, also, I, I don't know if this is too related, but there's um, one thing I've kind of, you know, come to find in being orthodox is that there's a depth, like knowledge, knowing things, There's there are different depths to that, where um, you can um, you can know things to a different degree, like you can um, know more or less of something, like um, I, uh, how... Um, someone can know like uh i don't know a latte is made with espresso and steamed milk but then i would know yes and here's how to pull the espresso and here's how to steam the milk and all of that right right and that that's a different thing but there's um there's also a um a depth to knowledge which isn't just like a specificity but there's mm. um how many layers knowing something has kind of sunk into you and changed you yeah um it's there's an experiential aspect i think yes is, yes is kind um, of it. yeah this is um a very um one of the most awkward exchanges i have ever had in my life Mm. it's probably a bad idea to say it on a podcast but um <laughs> i can edit it out if you change your mind about it but uh y- you know cold brew the the coffee how it's um uh coffee ground sort of suspended in water overnight and it um the coffee leaches into the water and disperses and it um has a really nice like smooth coffee flavor without the acidity that having hot water in the coffee sort of makes the beans do um makes the beans do yeah um (laughs) when i was you know uh at one of my jobs working at at a coffee shop i came up with this joke um you know the ernest hemingway saddest short story you know for sale baby shoes never warm worn um i thought how about for sale cold brews never warm (laughs) because you know it's a nice drink yeah and um so i tell it to a to you know a few customers and it's you know it's funny until one time someone isn't familiar with the hemingway short story and he's like what what what's the joke here and you know (laughs) well it's it's uh the hemingway short story where um uh it's uh he writes the saddest story and it's uh you know for sale baby shoes never worn and i it dawns on me that i've been making a joke about miscarriage (laughs) and uh that customer um says that he and his wife had um 
had lost oh, no. had lost the children. Yeah. Um, oh. And that's, I think that's what I mean when I say that there's a depth of knowledge. Hmm. It's it's not just the amount of facts, but it's yeah. There was an experiential side to yes, that, that. It's very experiential, <laughs> and that's um. I I don't want to say that like um you know making uh miscarriage jokes about cold brew is uh orthodox spirituality but that um it's not just kind of uh theology but it's um there's an emphasis on prayer and um sort of yeah the the practice and uh spiritual discipline of um yeah interacting with god and that that's one of the big things that um that i think people don't get with um with like the jesus prayer is that it's not a mantra it's not something that you repeat to put yourself in an altered state of consciousness that's actually uh if you read the writings of uh you know of saints who talk about it um like that you'll um I mean, there are some in like the uh, the Philokalia and such, which if you talk to a priest, they'll say the Philokalia. You, um, it's it's good, but you cannot learn this type of you know that depth of prayer, like uh, using it with with breathing or something, in a way that isn't spiritually harmful, unless you are taught it by someone who who knows how to do that themselves oh, and you can see them as they do it and learn from them but if you're just you know a guy with some pdfs or something you could drive yourself insane which is mm. is true if you you know if you breathe wrong that's one way people can can hallucinate um yeah so spiritual experiences um in orthodoxy it's not an altered state of consciousness i mean you might not feel and anything it's um it's spending time with god and um very um i guess uh quiet and subtle and the uh an exercise of love um i i say this i shouldn't really be going on like long uh diatribes about orthodox spirituality because i'm you know I've been Orthodox since 2019. That's not very long. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I have uh, this section on the on the. Uh, oh, here. Um, this reminds me. Um, sort of to to that sort of um, experiential aspect of things. There's uh, this small Russian boy at at you know at church who is the the child of. Um, of this this couple who are just extremely extremely nice people um and uh so he i have seen him show the virgin mary that he knows how to do a somersault by doing doing a, a little roll in front of <laughs> in front of an icon of of the mother of god yeah and i i you know i saw that and thought he's uh further along than me spiritually yeah that's that's really yeah I <laughs> every thought I thought of you no more thought I ought to do when there anything we see or touch we trust yeah. is true and um 
Yeah, so, um, yeah, this, uh, this person, he, uh, you know, he asks me why, you know, like, uh, you know, th that, uh, really, um, the sort of tactless question that a lot of people ask of, like, so why are you here? But, like, he had, it was very, um, very strategic how he asked that. So, yeah, he asked why I, why I was there, and I said, you know, I, I thought orthodoxy was interesting, and he just kind of, like, went, hmm, a lot of people do, you know, like, you know, like, <laughs> oh, we, we get a lot of people, you know, and it's just kind of like, I bet you're just kind of a tourist, I dare you to keep coming, and it was, <laughs> <laughs> like, it's... Re reverse psychology evangelism of, like, you know... <laughs> Yeah, oh, you won't. You won't last. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. You. You probably aren't. You're not up to this. You know. Yeah. M maybe you want to go. You know, go to a church with more more of a, a childish religion. You know. Oh, this is the spiritual meat. Go, go, go. Drink some milk with the babies. You know. It's. Uh... <laughs> but yeah. Also, uh, um, another anecdote with that guy. Uh. Once he introduced me to someone who visited, you know, who was yeah. visiting the church and uh, said, so this is Francis. He's going to introduce himself and he isn't allowed to say anything self-deprecating. <laughs> and, and I, I just, like, I was speechless, you know. I didn't have anything to... That's great. <laughs> That's great. Have any, anything to say, really. <laughs> Yeah, um, yeah, so, um, this is, um, I, I feel like I haven't really been giving a, a proper story of how I converted. Um, That's okay, we can, More just we'll... kind of anecdotes, but, um. No, I mean, I mean, in a way, it is, you know, like, I don't think that's a, a bad thing, per se. Yeah. Um, but we could place it, place us, let's see, so, when you, uh, when you were studying for the Open Bible pastor role you eventually stopped <laughs> yeah because i oh yeah <laughs> i was i was like leading into this point and i just kind of got distracted <laughs> that is so, all right like i said i i studied the old testament and the new testament and yeah. um like there i just kind of thought all right i've read like you know enough of the bible unless there's uh you know a um a systematic theology somewhere hidden in the sections of Jeremiah that I haven't gotten to. Just being a Christian by, like, reconstructing the Bible by itself, that doesn't work. Yeah. You know, and um, this will be a rabbit hole, so I might need you to pull me out of it. Okay. Um, around the time, you know, when I was studying to be, to be a pastor, and I was, you know, just very much on fire... There was uh, this group of Jehovah's Witnesses who I was, um, you know, arguing with. Like they, you know, they came into the house I, or came to the house. I invited them in, sat them down, and debated with them for like I think four hours or something the first time. Like it was, or it might have been four hours over a couple of visits. But like, um, I was um, like in in Colossians where um, you know there's that that. Um, early creed talking about Christ being the image of the Father uh, through, you know, through whom all things were made. You know, that huge, through through him all things were made. And that is 
a crucial part of Christian doctrine, that Jesus isn't a created thing. You know, he isn't, like Arius says, God's first and greatest creation. He is uncreated. And so I had this um, interlinear New Testament, you know, where there's the Greek and there's the English. And I was showing them, you know, in this, uh, it's, uh, I think it was from the Nestle Aland or something. I might have even taken down my, uh, my copy of the Greek New Testament where um, yeah. I was pointing out, you know, so the Greek were, because in the New World translation that they use, they, you know, they, because Jehovah's Witnesses believe that Jesus was created, they put in the word other. So like God made, they say that God made Jesus and then Jesus made the other things. And I was um, saying the word other isn't in the Greek. Like, mm -hmm. So I was showing them in in that that part of the, of the Bible, like you know, and the guy looks at me, puts his hand on this you know original text of the New Testament, and says, "Well, the thing with this translation, you see." <laughs> but any, anyway, so I put some work in, like trying to figure out what argument for Christ's divinity I can use. <clears throat> through the Bible, through their Bible, mm -hmm. because they won't accept any other one. And there's um, one line in uh, one of the short, short numbered epistles. Uh, I don't know if it's, uh, is it one of the Peters or one of the Timothys where it talks about how Christ reconciled us to himself. And if mm. like the Jehovah's Witnesses teach, he's the Archangel Michael. Why are we being reconciled to him? Yeah. Why have I sinned against an angel, you know? And so they had this convention, and I uh, dressed up as a Jehovah's Witness, or tried to. I uh, I didn't have a white button-down shirt, so I, I had my grey one and a tie, and uh, I messed up because the Bible I had had a cross on the front, and Jehovah's Witnesses don't believe that Jesus died on a cross. They think he died on a torture stake, which... Uh, oh. You know, that, that is a... Hard detail, I didn't know that. Yeah. You know, talking about this to people who speak Greek, that it was news to them that the word stavron meant torture stake. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, that would alert them also because the Bible had the words New American Standard, you know, Bible on, on the spine. That's also a no-no for them. But, um... Anyway, so I didn't go into the conference. I just uh, was like bothering the people who were going in and like mm -hmm. arguing for the divinity of Christ with them. Yeah. Um, and there came a point where, because I was, you know, I'm allowed to protest and I'm on mm -hmm. the sidewalk. So they had counter, you know, people to like counter me. And so I was just surrounded by these, these four large Jehovah's Witnesses. <laughs> and so I just stood there and preached at them for like an hour. <laughs> like, you know, until my voice was hoarse. Um, yeah. So just kind of that, um, I feel like that kind of illustrates how restless I was and how it disturbed me. It shook me to the core to see that mm. um it was a possibility if you didn't have any prior knowledge of christianity that sitting in a room with the bible you might not 
come out with a with you know a doctrinally sound understanding of of the church yeah you know this was of of course before i like started learning more about christian christian history and all of that but yeah you know that had that question of um where does the uh what doctrinal foundation is this? You know, if I can't, if it's not enough to be Bible believing, what understanding of the Bible do I should I be ascribing to? And mm-hmm. especially when there are um, there are differences in Christian doctrine, why? You know, how yeah. um, how can I you know think that there's what? How can I know what the gospel entails? And if there are ambiguous things, how can I trust that the part of the gospel I think I know? is accurate right right and so that um brought me to this um i guess uh epistemological threshold where or dilemma where i had to either say that there was a correct interpretation and one correct interpretation where um you know while mere christianity is good it's christianity because it bears a resemblance to the true understanding of the gospel Hmm. or there isn't a gospel. And so I was at that weird place where I was either like, you know, some sort of a rad trad or an agnostic at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> and um, <laughs> that's a weird place to be. Yeah. Yeah. That... Hmm. Yeah. So I, uh, yeah, I took, um, I didn't uh, sign up for a third semester of Bible college and I took two and a half gap years to have a crisis of faith. (laughs) And I was just, um, I feel bad for anyone who spoke to me during that time. And I'm very thankful for, for the people who did. Um, Hmm. you know, I, I had, um, a a group of friends. One of it, one of them was Orthodox and that was, um, you know, that's my friend, Jonathan, uh, back when he lived in in Des Moines as well. And, um, that's, um, also a very good, um, you know, for all of the apologetics and such that I did, you know, while it was useful to to do all of that sort of reading and such, mm-hmm. I think what really did, you know, a lot was um, just kind of having an orthodox friend with, with like, you know, with a dinner table and, um, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, like, um, yeah, he has he has a very full house. You know, at the time mm. he had five children, three cats, and an adolescent German shepherd. Yeah. Now he has six children, as as well as all of those. <laughs> <laughs> so it was, yeah, it, yeah. That was that was really really nice. We had um, yeah, he and uh, my friend Kyle and a couple of other other people as well. Um, we'd go over to his house every every Saturday and just kind of have have dinner, and they'd listen Hmm. as i was you know just kind of uh ranting like a crazy person about about you know uh um about 1054 and all of that and um (laughs) i i think that's you know that um it's the the opposite of a chick tract where you know it's um i i guess it's like a um yeah gospel tracts they remind me a bit of a short-term bible or short short-term missions trips which I, I went on one of those and that's that's mm. a whole other other story where like you're there and it, it's like you're on stage like what you do is in persona and so you yeah. can you know you can act like um 
you know, you can you can role play as Saint Paul being lowered out of the city in a basket or something like that. Mm. Because you just go home afterwards, you know. Mm. You don't like there there was um there was a convention for an evangelical thing at um at work and there was one guy who um <laughs> if any of my managers are listening hi i uh, don't usually uh talk crap about customers on podcasts <laughs> this is a one time thing <laughs> um but you know it uh he yeah this uh, guy who's from out of town like started you know a conversation in a very like disingenuous way like introducing himself and it it was like a salesperson where you mm. know he you could tell he was feeling you know putting his feelers out to see if you're you're christian or not because you can just you know go up and witness you can cold call the gospel i would i would say and you don't need to like make eye contact with me ever again if it doesn't go well, there's no, there's no, um, commitment, you know, you haven't burned the ship, so to speak. And it's, it's like that with the gospel tract, how you can just kind of, you've handed it to someone and you've done your part. Mm. And that's not a good way, you know, that I don't think that's really the gospel. Um, yeah. I think that a, a lot of it is kind of, uh, when someone's you know worldview is falling apart just kind of being that uh source or you know uh i wouldn't say source necessarily that that makes it feel like a weird power imbalance but like yeah to provide some some degree of stability you know to be a um yeah yeah that um you know doing some some emotional labor you know some unpaid emotional <laughs> labor um <laughs> yeah <laughs> and that that's you know it's really good that's one of the things that i love about orthodoxy how it's um mm. it doesn't fit on a business card it doesn't fit on a gospel tract it's this yeah. this huge thing that you it takes years to learn about like the process yeah. of becoming orthodox you know it varies from place to place but there's a good chance you'll look at being a catechumen for a year, at least. You know, uh, historically, people who wanted to join the church would be catechumens for three years. Like, that's what wow. the ancient practice was. Because, like, with Orthodox services and such, they don't, they don't uh, make it easily accessible. They give you the means for understanding it. But they're trying yeah. to raise you up to a higher level rather than bring down the worship and theology and water it down to something that's, uh, yeah. you know, just kind of appealing to the person who's wandering in for the first time. Because it, I mean, there are people who are, you know, everyone's welcome to wander in for the first time, but it's, it's not about, you know, about the visitor. It's about God. That's, you know, like a, that's why the priest faces away from, from the, from the congregation because they're leading all of us in offering up our, our worship. Um, I think I said something at the start of the podcast about how it wouldn't be Orthodox apologetics. Um, yeah, but you know, <laughs> yeah. So no, but I mean, you're talking yeah. about why you mm. went this way. So there's going to be a, a accidental apologetics yeah. that'll come out no matter what. Yeah. Which, um, 
yeah, I like how with orthodoxy I can very much be, you know, the same uh, person I was when I was studying to be a pastor, but like talking about Christianity, I can actually talk about Christianity that in a way that's not just giving a sales pitch. Yeah. Because there's yeah. a lot of depth and beauty and um, just kind of a lot going on. Um, like my, my patron saint, Ephrem the Syrian, which um, I have a couple things to, to mention about him. The first is uh, I didn't realize when I like, uh, you know, it was, I think, a year after um, after I'd been, you know, uh, chrismated into the church, you know, joined it, been um, anointed. That's uh, actually, you know, same same root word as Christ, you know, anointed one. It's um, yeah, being anointed with a special oil that um, is uh, to confer the gift of the Holy Spirit, and it's um, that's from back, you know, in in the Book of Acts when the apostles would lay their hands on people. Yeah, like a couple years after that, as Christianity was getting larger, there were more people than the apostles had time to lay their hands on, so they would start blessing oil. And then that oil that had been blessed by the apostles was then used to to anoint people, mm. and um, that that traditions continued with their uh, successors blessing oil. So, um, uh, like uh, there there are ceremonies like in Constantinople where Patriarch Bartholomew will just uh, will you know read these prayers over just massive jugs of oil or yeah. like these big vats of this spiced oil. And um, huh. anyway, so. <laughs> to loop back, uh, the patron saint I took is Ephrem the Syrian, and um, yeah. it's it feels kind of ironic that this podcast is called uh, Fruitless, because I found out, you know, a year after, you know, after I'd had his name for a year, um, it it means virile. Oh. <laughs> Ephrem means means fruitful or uh, oh, yeah. virile. <laughs> um, also, I, I thought I'd uh, I have a couple things that I wouldn't mind reading. I, I don't know if it would be uh, if it would be fitting um sure um i think we should probably move toward wrapping up so maybe maybe reading those could be like a good thing and then we could kind of say some final thoughts or whatever oh yeah sure yeah um so this um it's a a um a psalm that was written by from the syrian in this book a spiritual psalter or reflections of god or on god excerpted by bishop theophon the recluse yeah from hmm. Yeah, from from the Syrian, it's put out, I think, by Jordanville. Um, any anyway, so this is a uh, um, Psalm number twenty-seven of the ones that he wrote. Do not lose heart, O soul. Do not grieve. Pronounce not over thyself a final judgment for the multitude of thy sins. Do not commit thyself to fire. Do not say, The Lord has cast me from his face. Such words are not pleasing to God. Can it be that he who has fallen cannot get up? Can it be that he who has not turned away cannot turn back, or he who has turned away cannot turn back again? Dost thou not know how kind the father is to a prodigal? Do not be ashamed to turn back and say boldly, I will arise and go to my father. 
Arise and go, he will accept thee and will not reproach thee, but rather rejoice at thy return. He awaits thee. Just do not be ashamed, and do not hide from the face of God, as did Adam. It was for thy sake that Christ was crucified, so will he cast thee aside. He knows who oppresses us. He knows that we have no other help but him alone. Christ knows that man is miserable. Do not give thyself up to despair and apathy, assuming that thou hast been prepared for the fire. Christ derives no consolation from thrusting us into the fire. He gains nothing if he sends us into the abyss to be tormented. Imitate the prodigal son. Leave the city that starves thee. Come and beseech him, and thou shalt behold the glory of God. Thy face shall be enlightened, and thou wilt rejoice in the sweetness of paradise. Glory to the Lord and lover of mankind who saves us. That's really good. Yeah. So, so I was I was talking about how um you know there aren't really orthodox chick tracts, you know, no orthodox gospel tracts like that. Yeah. But if there was one, I feel like it would be um, the Paschal Homily of Saint John Chrysostom, which the um, OCA website has. If if you uh look up a Paschal Homily of uh, Saint John Chrysostom, so. Pascal is C- sorry. If you uh, if you send me the link, I can put it in the show oh, notes. Yeah. That yeah, that would be so, that would be. So best. check out the yeah. show notes. Yeah, ch- check out the show notes. <laughs> but you'd say that's the closest to a track. Yeah, yeah. I I think that's yeah. Um, also, if if we're talking about checking things out, there's this podcast you may have heard of called Mammonberg. <laughs> 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 uh, yeah, that, that's. I fun I fun. hear they're gonna have Kevin Sorbo on on one of these episodes yeah, soon. Someday we will. <laughs> Let me see if I have uh, any anything else. Yeah, any um, anything else? Then we can wrap um, up. This has been nice, though. Yeah, yeah. I I think that's um, that's about about it. You know, there there's yeah. also the uh, the standard dis- disclaimer that um, uh, you know. I am, I'm not as well versed in Orthodox theology and doctrine as I should be. So, mm-hmm. defer to what an Orthodox priest says. And yeah. uh, uh, if if I've uh, contradicted, you know, the uh, uh, Greek Orthodox Archdiocese of America in any of these things, uh, go go with their opinion on it. <laughs> um, I'm, yeah. uh, these are my, yeah, my personal views, uh, not, not, <laughs> I'm not speaking from my position as a member of the parish council. <laughs> no, but this was just kind of, I think, a little peek inside of the personal side of, of, you know, at least one person's mm. experience with orthodoxy. Yeah. Um, also, um, de- definitely like, uh, anyone who was within like 15 feet of me between like you know 2017 2019 <laughs> that's uh, their experience as well you know <laughs> just having me kind of rant at them for an hour that's true that's true I, I i think a lot of what i think of orthodoxy as comes from you which is probably better because i think if it hadn't been you then my introduction would have been weird racists on twitter <laughs> 
And that's a terrible yeah. introduction, I think. And not it's reflective. The worst. Not a reflective of of I, I think the majority of the tradition. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's um yeah, it's yeah, it's it's weird, like racism being an orthodoxy, like um yeah. Yeah. Like it's literally a heresy. Like uh um you know, like there's uh there's ethnophilitism, which is um mm-hmm. you know, uh basically this idea that um you know the churches are only for specific races or specific cultures or ethnicities that's a condemned heresy like we're very specific about that yeah Yeah, there's probably a whole other conversation about how how that nationalism yeah which if if you if you want i uh i know people who are more qualified than me to talk about that i yeah put me in contact with them because i'm that might be a future episode because i i genuinely do want to i I do want to get into that at some point understand why because you know why i like you being an introduction to any conversation about orthodoxy here is this is why i've been able to find it compelling even though i've never you know i've never i didn't end up going down that path Mm -hmm. and yeah and and why i found it so jarring when i started to interact with you know the this this you know theo bro often or ortho bro as it's usually called on online and it's not it's not reflective of of I think what the tradition should you know is about and yeah and so I guess I guess maybe this episode you could have a secondary title I'm not going to actually do this uh, you know which would be mm. like not all orthodox converts you know <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. which th- there is like a, a whole conversation to be had about um I guess the the importance of uh converts taking the initiative and becoming friends with people who you know grew up in the tradition yeah like you know yeah maybe learning how to say you know uh hi in greek things like that yeah 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 i mean we we joked about this on mammonberg at one point too i think about uh, it where um, it's like good good morning is calimera oh yeah Oh no, we we joked about this on Mammonberg where it's like a lot of these guys you can tell don't really the racists on Twitter types don't really attend Orthodox churches even because if they really think of ortho, you know Orthodox as like mm-hmm. the protector of the white race, they get to go hang out at their their nearby Orthodox thing. They're gonna be dealing with an Iraqi woman that'll stare at them like they're insane. <laughs> you know, oh, like oh, um, <laughs> I so my godfather is from Iraq, and um, oh yeah, I have. I, I, he, he's the best. Um, so I have like he has had like a half hour long discussion with my priest about um basically arguing how Christ can sit at the right hand of the Father if God is infinite and therefore does not have an outer edge or sides. <laughs> Just like in circles, it's the best. I love it so much. <laughs> That's so great. <laughs> uh, Orthodoxy's cool. Oh yeah, it's it's great. Well, I think I think that's that's about it, Francis. I think we did it. Well, thank you. Yeah, well, thank you for coming on. This has been lovely.
Cause I'm 